Well, it seems to be a very long time. I mean, time seems in one respect, the day goes very quickly, but in the other respect, it seems to go very slowly with very little progress. Welcome to Pod Defiance, where we don't lecture, but we do educate. I'm your host, Sarah Smith. It's been nearly two months since the governor of Washington declared a state of emergency and imposed a stay-at-home order in response to COVID-19. A lot has changed since then. As we look toward an uncertain future amidst isolation and worry, we've all had to learn how to balance the different parts of our lives, work, school, family, while hunkered down at home. We've made sacrifices for the greater good to protect our community and our loved ones. At the start of this pandemic, I recorded an episode of the podcast that featured interviews with friends overseas. It was not only an opportunity to document a historic moment in our lives, but those interviews provided insight to what's happening on a global scale in response to COVID-19. It also provided me a rare opportunity for interactions with people that I really, really like who live in other parts of the world. It's funny how during a worldwide lockdown, I found connection and camaraderie with people that are so far from me. Rekindling these connections and hearing their stories has felt like a silver lining in all of this. This episode of Pod Defiance is a follow-up to those initial conversations. I checked in with Nick, Leslie, Anne, and Raul to see what's changed for each of them, what they've learned, how they've endured, what do they see happening in America, what are the common threads tying us together in this unprecedented time. This is Silver Linings Part 2, COVID Connections. They're starting to change a little bit in Norway because we think we've flattened the curve for this round. The country of Norway has suffered a lower mortality rate from COVID-19 than many other countries. Nearly 5.4 million went into lockdown in mid-March, and Norwegians responded to the pandemic swiftly with strict measures in place, as well as vigorous testing and virus tracing efforts. Well, we were talking, we um, were talking to the Norwegian guy yesterday with his family. And he was joking that, of course, it's not as hard to social distance in Norway because it's not as affectionate of a culture and they are, they really value space. They really value. They already practice social distance. They do. (laughs) It's been really easy to adapt. Leslie and Nick met in Seattle. And a couple years ago, the two of them moved to Norway together when Nick found a position with the University of Bergen. Leslie's been keeping in touch with her family back in Seattle through weekly Zoom check-ins. Yeah, I think they are experiencing it in a really different way because both of my sisters have kids that are quite young. Mm -hmm. And so for them, it's changed everything about their life. There's there's nothing uh, relaxing about it. There's nothing it's changed everything because they're trying to work full time and take care of their young kids during the day. Whereas for us, it's calmed down. There's the, the pace has just completely mellowed out in a really kind of refreshing way. And for them, everything has just cranked up at once and the stress of coronavirus and testing and everything. Yeah. It'd be a different story if we had kids running around in this apartment. Yes. Oh my God. When I asked Nick and Leslie what they thought about what they saw happening here in America, at first they kind of paused. 
Maybe they were a little unsure what to say. I could hear the hesitation and frustration in their voices, but they didn't hold back. It's almost worse. It's a dumpster fire. I don't know. Let's say my view of the US at the moment is a little conflicted, but my opinion of Americans is one of the highest regard. What are we going to what is going to happen today? Like what is President Trump going to say today? Like what embarrassment will I have to walk around as an American today? I've seen people posting on Facebook trying to get help saying I've tried to file for unemployment and I can't get through to anyone and I keep submitting these forms, but they're not up to date on the government websites. And you're seeing people just suffering in a really public way. And it feels like there's no way to help because it's such a system-wide problem. The, the, the thing is, the thing is like there, <laughs> what, what I feel is that there have been so many so many crazy things that have happened in your political system over the last few years that it just has been escalating and escalating over this period of time. And so when something like this happens, it doesn't actually seem as crazy as it actually is, like because of all this other stuff that's gone before it. So we're, we're living in this really odd time i think where our perception of like what's normal and our um i guess just our general standards of, of what we'd expect from our elected officials has been warped to mm -hmm. out of all proportion so it's it's exhausting to look at it from one point of view i, I couldn't imagine what it would it be like to be living to be actually living it <laughs> getting out of your own environment and having so many realizations about actually what it is to be American feels so much more obvious to me now because I don't live in the US. I think I understand maybe some of the social differences and politically it, it's what you were talking about. It's kind of just opened up my mind in, in a completely new way to what's possible and how things can be. The lack of a social safety net for so many Americans because yeah. of coronavirus. I hope in a way that convinces Americans how important it is yeah. to have that, that people can't take sick leave, that yeah. it's been really difficult to get uh, filed for unemployment and yeah. all of those types of social challenges that people are facing if there's something good to come out of the hardship, I hope that I hope it convinces people that we all Americans could benefit from that. Spain is beginning a phased plan to ease the country's strict restrictions after two months of near total lockdown. One of the hardest hit countries in the world, Spain is taking things slow. Yeah, they, they put like um, different phases because the, the uh, virus is going down is like the statistics are like less than 200 people dying per day that mm -hmm. is still really bad but it's much better than the 400-500 from a few weeks ago the phase zero is just uh, let people go outside mm -hmm. you cannot take your car and you can only move less than one mile from your apartment just for mm -hmm. running or bicycle or walking 
Uh, and they put different timings during the day. So it's, uh, people from over uh, 15 year old till 70, they can go out only from 7 in the morning till 10, and then at, at in the evening from 8 p.m. till 11 p.m. Uh, will be for 15 days, and then if the re uh, ratio for death uh, go down, still go down, they will put phase one, that is uh, you can move, but just in your uh, around your city, you cannot go outside. You cannot go to like 100 miles away. And then they will start opening the restaurants, bars, and, and, and a small business. But just uh, for example, the restaurants will be in less than 50% of capacity. When I spoke to Raul last, it was day two of phase zero. The day before, he and his girlfriend were finally able to walk through the city again. But it wasn't exactly what they were expecting. We, can we, we got surprised that I never seen that much people in the street in my life. Wow. Everyone with the mask and everything, but yeah. the people running and it wasn't because the parks are still closed and you have to walk through the pub and it's, 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 it was crazy. Though deliberate and calculated, there is fragility in Spain's plan. Politicians disagree on the managing of the reopening stages. The economy has suffered. The difference, for example, there is a lot of um, between politics right now because the, the current government, they put, instead of point, point, uh, put uh, putting dates, like fixed dates for the, these phases, they say, let's put phase zero. Let's see in the next 15 days how it, how it goes. And then if it's good, if we go of phase one or phase two. In other countries, they put this, they said, okay, in May 5th, we will open the borders. In May 25th, there's a lot of people in the, in the opposition, they are really angry with that because they are saying, it's like, you have to give dates, not just another 15 days, another 15 days, but I think it's good to wait. We have been waiting for 40 days. I think it's good to wait just to see how it goes. If, if, if the people go outside, if you open everything right now and the people go outside like yesterday, we will mm -hmm. go back. When I spoke to Raul at the start of this pandemic, he felt hopeful despite the dire circumstances. This time I asked him if there were any positives that he could point to in the situation. Well, for example, our mayor, as soon as they, the people is, o sea, because of this uh, pollution that we, o sea, we, don't, we are not using cars right now and the people is using bicycles, they are thinking to improve the city for bicycles. That yeah. a few months ago, this guy said that he doesn't want bicycles in Madrid, only cars. And now he's thinking that maybe it's good. There are more, mostly more bad things than good yeah. things because the, the people, the, the politicians are fighting we have more than 25,000 deaths and the people is fighting between them. It's like, who is responsible for that? Everyone is responsible. You remember I told you that the people at APM everyday clubs, but after the last few weeks, everyone is, is there is a half of the people or 70% of the people is clapping to the uh, nurses and doctors and everyone. And there's a lot, a lot of people that, or how do you say, a protesting. They're protesting mm -hmm. against the government. The politicians are fighting, and then the, the people around us they are fighting also. So you know, like, you, we have to be together in this kind of thing. We have to be together, and we and and we. I learned that the people only thinks about their interests. 
Japan lives in a quiet area on what Australians call a bush block. It backs up to an undeveloped green area overlooking the city of Adelaide. Her pace of life has slowed, and she's seen more wildlife like kangaroos and koalas making an appearance in the area. This is the view from our deck overlooking Adelaide. And there, if you look there, there's a little koala. Definitely, I think we're noticing more, partly because we're stuck at home. We have a lot of bird life, and people are posting a lot more pictures um, in the sort of environmental blogs, I, uh, Facebook groups I belong to. They're, they're seeing and paying attention. Um, mm -hmm. People are noticing like uh, spiders and uh, little creatures in their gardens that they're, they're posting and asking for identification. Mm -hmm. So I certainly think there's an awareness going out of that, which is nice to see. Yeah, but we have wonderful um, bird life that amuses us, you know, wonderful parrots and and corellas and cockatoos flying around. And normally we would have one after the other planes going mm -hmm. overhead, but virtually there's nothing in the sky. I do notice people are talking to one another more. So if you bump into or come across someone when you're walking, people are more um, chatty, I would say. There was a lovely... Um, story about how to work out the distance from one other person that you must be it must be a small crocodile dis distance did you see that, <laughs> <laughs> that a, a good description of well it seems to be a very long time i mean time seems in one respect the day goes very quickly but in the other respect it seems to go very slowly with very little progress we haven't had any new cases in south australia for it might be 10 days so they are now talking about how we're going to uh, relax things. And, um, you know, it's a balancing act. Um, mm -hmm. We have a bit of a, like you do with Republican and Democrat, we have Labour and uh, Liberal states. And so there's a bit of an argy-bargy going on there between the states about, you know, who's right and who's wrong. You know, there's no real solution in sight. That's what I, I think everyone probably feels very anxious about. I think we were a bit lucky because we were slow to um, get that huge community spread and fast to react. Mm -hmm. So they reacted pretty fast and also a smaller population. I mean, the population here is what, 26 million and we're spread out. So the worst thing was the cruise ships and that alerted everyone quickly. Mm -hmm. And so they shut down quickly. So the government has picked up, um, the prime minister has picked up a huge approval rating for his actions. Mm -hmm. Some of Anne's family lives in South Africa, where Anne moved from over 30 years ago. I asked her about what was happening in Durban, where her son and daughter-in-law still live, and how she feels about the effects of COVID-19 on a place that she feels a connection to. They're coming off the top level of lockdown. Um, my daughter-in-law is pregnant, so they're both working from home. It's really quite a serious lockdown. So if you go out shopping, you've got to show your till slip, basically to show that you've been shopping. You're on the way there. Um, the real problem is in the uh, what the, the townships, you know, outside where hundreds and thousands of people are tied up, and they and they it, the informal economy there is very strong. So they live by day to day with cash, and they are suffering a lot. That sort of thing. It's it's very very hard. Well, I left in, we left in 87, when okay. South Africa was on the edge of civil war. But we, we go back to South Africa almost every year. I think whenever you go back to a place that you've lived a long time, you feel a great sort of pull at the heart. When I go back to East Africa as well, to Zanzibar, um, 
but certainly, you know, Durban, I know it's trees, I know it's streets. Mm -hmm. you know, I've been there for, from what, 64, to, you know, 20 years, 22 mm -hmm. years. In the last episode, Anne shared a story of her family's resilience during the Spanish flu pandemic of 1918. This time, Anne talked of her father and the strength he demonstrated throughout his life in the face of adversity. I quite often think of my father who um, lived through incredibly difficult times and had an amazing life when I look back at it. I mean, uh, escaped death many times and lived through the war and revolutions and things. And um, he had an incredible level, level thinking process uh, to ascertain what was important and to keep sensible. And I often sort of now think about him and as, as a guide almost in my present, uh, our present circumstances. For many of us here in America, it's little day-to-day -day things that keep us going. I've planted a container garden full of vegetables that I may or may not talk to while I'm watering. I've learned how to make a mean latte at home. Many of us have become Zoom aficionados, hosting virtual parties with our friends. One thing we all can't seem to get enough of Games. In fact, we played bridge with friends the other night. You're allowed to have two visitors, so we went and played bridge, and that felt like really special. I've, I was looking around. Uh, what are some multiplayer games that I could like play with a couple of my friends so that we still have like some sort of social interaction? Yeah. And I'd heard about Stardew Valley, and um, <laughs> heard a lot of good things about it actually. So okay, let's give this a spin, and uh, it's so good. Yeah. <laughs> I'm fully into farming, into mining, and to fishing now. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just a nice way to like just to hang out with your friends. Yeah. Just talk some rubbish and um, and uh, play a game on the side. Another activity we all seem to love: baking. It's become harder to find flour than toilet paper. Sourdough in particular seems to have taken off as the official bread of this pandemic. I tried. I failed. Nick, however, is determined. Okay, half an hour later. How do we do? Whoa. I've been doing a lot of bread baking like everyone else in the world. The first batch of bread I made like didn't like it tasted really good to start off with, but then like left this really weird aftertaste. And I think it, I'm blaming it on the flour. Like I got in touch with a chef friend of mine and he, that was the first thing he asked me, well, what type of flour are you using? Yeah. And I tried it in this Norwegian bag. <laughs> you can't read it. You can't read it. Oh, yeah. It looks pretty good. Sometimes my sourdough starter smells like acetone. Uh, that's not good. Okay. Yeah, mine looked okay. It's just a weird aftertaste. So I can kind of like show pictures. So, yeah, look how amazing my bacon <laughs> so smells. For the first five minutes, yeah. it tastes good. So I'll, I'll let you know how the next, the next uh, round of uh, bread baking goes. That's it for this episode of Pod Defiance. A big thank you to Leslie and Nick, Anne and Raul for sharing your experiences with us. A 
as the spring 2020 quarter starts to wrap up. We hope you're doing well at home and you're continuing to stay safe. We also want to send our soon-to-be graduates a big congrats for your hard work and dedication to your education, especially during a time like this. You're all amazing and deserve all the recognition. Cheers.